Good, uh, good morning again. If you, are, if you have your Bible, open it up to 2 Peter 1. I'm going to read from verse 1 to verse 11. I think we are beginning to remember some of the structure here. Uh, it starts off incredibly encouraging in the first four verses, verses 5 and 7. He calls them to use God's strength to cultivate these qualities that please Him, bring glory to Him. Verses 8 and 9, we're going to see, and we looked at these verses last week, um, that the presence of those qualities is encouraging evidence that we are saved, that we know the Lord. And then we're going to see today in verses 10 and 11, um, calling to make sure that you are certain that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to read from 2 Peter 1, verses 1 through 11. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world by lust. Now for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing. They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren... Be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Let's pray. Now, Father, we thank you for the gift of your word, for communicating uh, to us something that is essential. And Father, there are weeks in which we see the essential truths of how we are to please you. Weeks in which we see the, all the resources you've given us in Christ Jesus. And then there are weeks in which you teach us how to be certain we truly belong to you. I pray, Father, that you would help really work in every person here, that we would be faithful to respond to the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We are an experience-driven culture. And I would say, after be, be, being here back in Southern California for three years, I see it even more here than in other parts of, uh, of America. And of course, the world is changing, so maybe it's just I'm getting older, but it seems more so than in the Midwest, more so than in the Northwest. Here in Southern California, everything comes together. This great weather, all these opportunities, all the entertainment world. There's a never-ending list of events to get to before other people do including home, I think. That's why everyone can't wait to get home. No. Uh, there's exciting activities that if you participate in, you get to post to social media, and people will give you little hearts. There's limited time offers. There's sales you can't miss out on. Limited merchandise. 
We've spoken in the past of the cultural phenomenon known as the fear of missing out. This was recently seen um, with Popeye's chicken sandwiches. I don't know if you heard about this. People waiting in hour-long lines to participate in this chicken sandwich. It must have been a really good chicken sandwich. Even fights breaking out over people wanting to not miss out on this chicken sandwich. That's, that, that's where we are. That just didn't take place in Southern California. God's messenger, the Apostle Peter, wants to invoke a healthy fear of missing out. A healthy fear of missing out. Missing out on being a forever resident of God's eternal kingdom. Now, this is not to spur you to an unhealthy anxiety. It's not to, to, to kind of get you to feel continually nervous. I don't know, am I in, am I out, am I in, am I out? It's to push you to make certain your calling and election by cultivating Christ-exalting qualities. Last week in verses 8 to 9 of 2 Peter 1, we saw Peter motivating the saints to cultivate the qualities listed in verses 5 to 7. And if you are newer with us, I'd encourage you to go back to, 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 to listen to that message in verses 5 to 7, because you might read through and say, oh, well, I've got some of these. You need to understand what those qualities are. We need to cultivate those qualities. Peter did, uh, he motivated them by exposing what happens to confessing believers who don't cultivate these qualities. In verse 8, we saw that the absence of these qualities, that the failure to grow in them would result in a useless, ineffective, fruitless knowledge of Jesus Christ. A true knowledge of Jesus Christ Having new life results in change. Being united with Christ means becoming like Christ. If you don't grow, you don't have true knowledge. Verse 9, Peter motivates by diagnosing those who don't have these qualities as blind, as being short-sighted, having forgotten that they were cleansed of their former sins. And when that happens, that, that, that person there either is no longer caring about their past conversion, or they're no longer confident of it. That's, that's and really to some who are, who are waffling, that can be God's grace working in their lives when they don't know my life isn't matching up. Peter is writing to the saints so that they avoid this dreadful condition of being fruitless, which is descriptive in Scripture of those who are condemned, of, 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 of being blind, of those who aren't spiritually alive. The fact that Peter's writing is encouragement for all of you to have hope this morning. He's not saying, you know, you guys should probably throw in the towel. Just give up. You know that fear of missing out? You're going to miss out. No, he wants you to have this healthy fear of missing out that would push you to taking today's text seriously. And that is what we are called to do, to take God's word seriously. In 2 Peter 1, verses 10 through 11, Peter encourages three responses to his warnings in verses 8 and 9, so that you will be certain of your salvation. So we're going to see three responses in verses 10 and 11 to the warnings of verses 8 and 9. 
And the benefit of that is that you are going to be able to be certain that you've been reconciled to God, that you've been justified, that you've been saved, that Christ's blood has been applied to you, that you, that that gospel, that that good news is your good news. So here's the first response that we need. It's simple. You need to value certainty. Value certainty. We see that in the first half of verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. And Peter begins, therefore, brethren. See, he encourages them. He's confident that they know him, that they know the Lord. But he also knows the effect he's having on his audience. That's why he says, therefore. He's looking back, building upon that. Some of you feel an appropriate fear of becoming fruitless, that you have a fear of, 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 am I blind? Perhaps some of you wonder, Peter knew that this would be true of those he's writing to, has this already happened to me? Has, has, has my true knowledge really become empty and void? I, I thought I knew him, but now I'm not living like I know him. Has the impossible be, become possible? Someone who knows the Lord can't become lost, Have I become fruitless? Have I become blind? Have I revealed that I never really knew him? So Peter is understanding the effect of these warnings in verses 8 and 9. Some of you may have had the effect of those warnings last week. You're like, I don't want that to ever become me. And some of you left wondering, has that become me? So he's going to encourage them. And he's going to encourage you this morning. You can have certainty that you are saved. So he gives them a simple command to these brothers, to those who he are convinced are his brethren, be diligent. Make every effort. Make every effort to make certain about his calling and choosing you. Be zealous. Exert yourself. People are diligent to make certain about all kinds of things that are are minuscule in importance compared to our eternal security. People get in line early, whether it's to get a concert ticket, to get a chicken sandwich, to buy some fancy limited edition merchandise. When I sell something on, on Craigslist, and if, it, you know, if it's a more expensive thing, and I don't do this all the time, but if I get paid and there's a $100 bill there, I'm diligent to make sure that bill is authentic, right? I want to know that it's the real thing. I want to be certain. And now, I don't want to embarrass the person who just gave it to me. I don't want to insult them. So I don't do it when they're there, which is kind of ridiculous because it defeats the point. But I hold up the $100 bill you know, as I get in my car afterwards, like I'm going to do anything now, to make sure it's got that little strip in there, right? It's important to me that that $100 bill is authentic, that it's the real thing. I want to be certain that that is actual cash. Now, that happens with mundane things like chicken sandwiches. We want to get, get that chicken sandwich. We just don't go to another place and get a McDonald's chicken sandwich. We want a Popeye's chicken sandwich because it's a limited time offer or a $100 bill. But it's also two of things that are much more serious. Like when someone is on trial for murder, you know they might spend the rest of their life in prison or might go to death row. The juror wants to, I hope, examine the evidence before pronouncing the sentence. They want to be beyond a shadow of a doubt. Someone's life is on the line. Well, brothers and sisters, your eternity is on the line. You have to get this right. 
you shouldn't be okay with a counterfeit or with a McDonald's chicken sandwich. I don't know, maybe like this. But you, you shouldn't be okay with less than certainty. You want to get the verdict right, guilty or not guilty. Now, in this case, you want to make diligent if you're calling an election. See, you can't, you can't comfort yourself only. Now, this might be comforting, but not only with a past conversion experience. You shouldn't only look backwards and say, well, I remember when I prayed a prayer, or I remember when I got baptized. The question we have to ask ourselves is, have I been chosen by God? Have I been called by him? There's nothing more important than that. So how do you know whether in eternity past God chose you? How do you know whether your response to the gospel was genuine? That God has effectually called you? That your response was the Spirit's work? That it was, his, it was your, God's Spirit that was making your spirit alive? That it was Christ who was calling you out of the tomb? Come forth. How do you answer that question, especially, especially when your harvest, you know, when the fruit in your life has been kind of sparse? You really haven't even... You haven't been paying much attention on growing. Your memories become fuzzy. You know, I used to value being saved, but now I'm just kind of coasting. When you can't say for certain what kind of seed you are, or what kind of servant, are you, are, are you that servant that was given 10 talents and is excited to see his master, the servant that was given five talents, or the servant who was given one talent and has hid that talent, not really trusting his master to be really worth investing in? It's interesting how Peter's counsel is so different from what our counsel often is. Peter doesn't say, I want to be careful saying this, when you're uncertain, look to the cross. Is that good to do? Definitely, right? Our hope is in Christ's substitutionary work. We have to keep thinking about Christ's death. It is where we put our hope and our confidence. Today, in the Lord's Supper, we're going to remember Jesus' sacrificial death. Our forgiveness is impossible without the blood of Christ. It's through faith in Him that we are declared righteous. Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Forgiveness is a precious thing, and that forgiveness is only found in believing Jesus Christ. But we do ask, well, how do I know that that is me, particularly when fruit is absent, when they're not increasing. See, God has engineered our salvation so that if we're not growing, if we're not growing, we don't have confidence that we're saved. We shouldn't have confidence. See, Peter doesn't encourage you to go and find all those verses about justification. Get a nice, warm cup of justification. And, and, and just keep sipping on that until all the doubts about your salvation go away. Despite evidence to the contrary. Instead, what does he say the command here is? Make certain. Confirm it. Value 
certainty. See, when we grow in sanctification, we don't confirm to God that he chose us. We don't confirm to him that he called us. We make this truth certain to our own hearts. We hold it up as a bill to the light to make sure it's the real thing. We test this authenticity. We bite on it to make sure it's real gold. All of us would be fools to accept fake money. Don't be okay with a fake conversion. Peter tells the believers how to gain the certainty. First, we have to value it, and clearly that's what he's calling them to. Be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. We have to value that certainty. And then he's going to tell us how. He doesn't point us backwards and say, well, did you pray a prayer? He tells them how they are to gain certainty, and that's your next point. Gain certainty. Value certainty, and now gain certainty. It says in the second half of verse 10, For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Now gain certainty. We're not talking about, and you know this well-taught church, we're not talking about how we gain salvation. We're not talking about how we have our sins forgiven, how we are justified, how we are declared righteous. Romans 3.28 says, We maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. It's not by doing things or even by doing things really well that we're justified. It is by faith in the substitutionary work of Christ. It says, For we maintain, again, Romans 3.28, that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. The question is, are you that man? Are you that woman? When Peter promises here, you will never stumble. To stumble doesn't mean to give into a particular sin or to be tripped up by a besetting sin. While in this unredeemed flesh, we'll struggle with sin. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is forgiving. The ESV tra- tra- translates this word uh, stumble as you will never fall. And Peter's idea here is to fall away from your commitment to God, to leave the faith, to be exposed as one who never really was converted, to apostatize, to defect, to go back to the kingdom of darkness and say, I don't want to be in the light anymore. I don't want to do what God says. I'm going back. I want to go hide in the darkness. It is to fall to destruction. Those who have and those who cultivate the qualities of verses 5 to 7 will never turn away. That's what Peter says. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. You will never fall away. But if you do not have these qualities, you may stumble. You may fall away. You may reveal that you were never saved that you are not one of the elect, that your response to the gospel call was not the work of God's life-giving spirit, but it's just something that you thought was something you should do. Now, falling away should be terrifying, but not just because of eternal judgment, not just because of the prospect of hell to those who leave Christ. 
because you don't want to leave the presence of your Savior. Because you don't want to leave the service of your Savior. Because you don't want to bring shame on your Savior. Because you don't want anyone to question Jesus' power to save as they leave you, as they watch you leave the fold. Because you don't want to cause anyone who's watching to consider leaving too. There are so many reasons not to apostatize besides just judgment. Those who listen to this and those who respond to this are those who love Jesus Christ. How could I leave him? And so you listen and you say, I'm going to practice these things. Because I don't want that to be me. I don't want to bring shame on Christ. Now Peter, again, is not saying that you should go home and worry. He wants you to have confidence and to gain confidence God's way. He says, as long as you practice these things. And the word practice is a good way to, 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 to translate this verb. It has the idea of ongoing action, of being committed to something. So it's not practice makes perfect. I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep practicing this until I get it right. It's that it's your practice, your habit, your lifestyle. You practice you have to start practicing, brushing your teeth every night before bed, right? But then you want that to be your practice. It's just what you do. You make coffee every morning. That's your practice. It's, it's part of who you are, part of who I am. Peter's saying, make your habit such that growing in godliness is who you are. It's what you do with your salvation. So be one who is actively taking off sin and putting on obedience. Be one who is evaluating, am I growing in these qualities? Be one who studies God's word to say, what does God require from me? Be one who memorizes, one who confesses. One who plans out obedience. One who prays for God's help in obeying. One who does. One who obeys. This is what it is to practice these things. Be someone who daily spends time in the garden of obedience. You go backyard and there in your garden of obedience, you have some steadfastness being cultivated and you have some, some godliness growing and look there, some love flourishing and some brotherly kindness. Well, that needs some attention. You, you go back in your garden and you're like, what needs to be cultivated here? You do some watering. You do some, some, some pruning of the useless branches. You do some watching over the seedlings. Now, this is not a garden that you go and plant. That would be part of what works righteousness would be. You, you, don't, you, don't, grow, you don't make these things grow. This is God's life in you as you've responded to the gospel, flourishing. And so you're going to practice the, these things. What you don't have in the backyard, what Peter's warning against, is an overgrown backyard that maybe you look out and you go back there and say, huh, there's a tomato here. It must be left over from last year. You know, you had some seeds that, that, that dropped and, whoa, look at that. I must be saved. But neither is it going back there and expecting 
to see the Descanso Gardens, right? To see this, this beautifully manicured, no evidence of sin left in my life. Look at all these tulips. Both of those can be, can be, evidences of just self-centeredness. Self-centeredness and ignoring your garden, and self-centeredness and like, it's not perfect, it's not perfect. It's not. Now, that can be good if your desire is to please the Lord. But Peter doesn't say, if you perfect these things. So we don't have to be afraid to go back and to analyze what's flourishing. We don't need to go back and to see, we don't have to be afraid to go back and see what needs growth. The promise is here, if you practice these things, you will never stumble. That doesn't mean you don't keep finding weeds. You might find the same weed of the same sin again and again and again. So what do you do? You go and say, dandelion, I repent of you. And you rip that dandelion out, try to get that long root with it if you can, right? What's going on in my heart? You rip that out, and then you're not surprised when you see that dandelion again the next day. The presence of sin is not a demonstration that you are not saved. It is how are you responding. It doesn't say if you eradicate all sin, if there are no weeds in your garden, then you know that you're saved. No, it says practice these things. Be in the habit of cultivating, growing. Be someone who exerts effort, who utilizes God's resources, who pleads for God's strength, who rests on God's promises. Goes back and reads verses 3 and 4 again and again and again and again. As you find out, boy, practicing these things is hard. I need some resources. Who goes to verses 5 through 7 and say, ah, I think I've arrived. Nope, nope. Go back to verses 5 to 7. See what you need to be cultivating. If you're a fruit tree, you're going to grow fruit. That's what a fruit tree does. So if you have new life in Christ... If you have repented and put your faith in, if you are God's chosen, if he has called you, if he's worked so that when you heard the gospel, you responded with life, you were dead, but now you are alive and you love him. You can obey, you can practice these things. Growth and holiness is not just for a few select saints. Growth is a defining characteristic of those who are saints. You may look at a little portion of your life and say, I'm not seeing any growth. You need to take this warning seriously. But over the long haul, you're going to see growth. If you don't want to stumble, if you don't want to leave the faith, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you by practicing these things. This is God's way of certainty. Practicing these things is like driving safely on the side of a cliff. It's driving safely on the side of a cliff. Do you have to be terrified driving on the side of a cliff? You don't. Well, at least not in America. Some countries, you may be. But in America, you know, the roads are safe. And there's two lanes, and they're marked off, and then there's a fence often if it's dangerous. And then there's still a little distance, right? You don't have to be terrified if you're following the rules. Peter's saying, drive safely, and you'll never fall away. Don't get close to the edge. Don't be reckless. Practice these things. So are you practicing good driving habits? Or 
Do you ignore the rules? Say, I'm going to close God's word. Close your eyes. Turn up the radio so you can drown out your conscience. Press on the metal and assume in God's grace. I've got insurance. See, the saint who lives that way has forgotten that they've been cleansed from their former sins. And maybe they never have been. If you haven't been practicing these things, if you don't have certainty God's way, you have to ask yourself then, go back to the first question, do I value certainty? Do I value salvation? Does it really mean that much to me? If you're at a point now where you're like, I don't know if I'm willing to do that. It's a good indication you may not be saved. It's a good indication you are not saved. If you don't value your calling and election, if you're not willing to practice these things, if you're not willing to cultivate what God has planted in you through his grace, maybe he hasn't planted it in you through his grace. Peter's point here is to give hope to his people. As long as you practice these things to God's people, you will never stumble. So those who value certainty and those who gain certainty God's way can now wait with certainty. And verse 11 is thrilling. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Peter could say, if you don't do this, it's going to be horrible, and I'm going to talk about hell for a while. No, instead he, he says, in this way, those who practice these things, those who are listening to me, those who put real diligence and effort into growing, not to save themselves, but because they are saved, what sweet words, what sweet words, what comfort for the weary, exhausted travelers, for those who have been battling sin, for those who are struggling to rip out that dandelion once and for all. In this way, those who practice these things in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. One commentator, Gene Green, says, the dominant message in the Gospels has to do with entry into the kingdom, right? Being part of God's kingdom is a big deal. It's pa passing from death to life. Matthew 5.20, Jesus says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 7.21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's a picture of someone who's practicing these things. Not just someone who says, Lord, Lord, but someone who obeys. The verse begins in this way, or thus. Now these qualities are not how you enter. You, you don't get to heaven's gate and pay with these qualities. But you will not enter heaven without them. By being one who practices these, these and, and cultivates these qualities, that is how, that is for whom the gates of heaven open. The lazy, the stubborn, the unwilling, the unmotivated, the rebels will not get in. 
Matthew 22, verses 11 through 14, it's the end of Jesus' parable of the wedding feast and how those who were the expected invites didn't want to go, and so he goes out to the highways and byways. But, they, but there's someone who sneaks in. Matthew 22, verses 11 to 14. But when the, king, when the king came in to look over the dinner guest, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. And then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. God has determined that all who enter into the presence of Christ will be those who have been transformed by Christ. They are those who practice these qualities, not just those who respond to an invitation. Jesus says that many are called, but few are chosen. The point of this passage is so that you know with certainty, I am one of those chosen. To not dread thinking about being chosen, but to be comforted because you see yourself having fruit in your life of practicing these qualities. It says, for in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Now that verb supplied, we've, we, we've seen it recently in verse 5. It means to, to, to provide at one's own expense, to supply, to furnish. It's the wealthy benefactor paying out of his own resources for the performance of a public choir. He's like, I want to put on a great show. I'm going to pay for all the singers. I'm going to pay for this out of my own pocket. We, we just want this to be a great show. That, that, that's what that word supplied is. Well, in verse 5, it is in the active tense. That means it's something that you do. Passive tense is what you receive or what is done to you. Verse 5, the command is active. Now, for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply or add. Grow to the faith that God has given you. Add moral excellence and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. God has, God has given you all these resources, these precious and great promises, so add to them. Supply. That's the same verb here. But in verse 11, it's in the passive tense. I don't want to scare you away by saying active and passive. You are the one receiving. It is being supplied to you by someone else. In verse 11, the verb is passive. We're not the ones supplying the entrance into God's kingdom through our sanctification. It's not us trying to pry the doors open by becoming more holy or by doing religious things or good works. God is supplying the entrance to us. Peter says that it's abundantly supplied. It's richly supplied. It's lavishly supplied. This is a warm welcome. He's welcoming you with fanfare. Now, Peter, again, we know this is not teaching we get to heaven by our own effort, but he is teaching that those for whom God opens the gates of heaven are those who cultivate these qualities through effort. That, that's who is going in. Those who cultivate these qualities through effort. Peter learned this from his Lord. I already quoted it. Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. All whom God welcomes 
into the eternal kingdom of his son have supplied from the resources that God has given to the faith that they've received from God with all diligence. All of this is for God's glory. All of this is beginning with God's work so that we work. Those who enter the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ have Jesus Christ as both Savior and Lord. They are not fruitless. They are not blind. They have not forgotten. They're confident. So will you be those who are welcomed into God's presence? Those who have been justified by faith will be welcomed in. But it's also true that those who have been justified by faith will cultivate these qualities. So it's also true that those who have these qualities will be welcomed in. That's what Peter says. Practice these things and you'll never stumble for in this way. As you use God's resources to pursue transformation into Christ-likeness, that's, that's the way that God welcomes you into heaven. That's who goes in. Not everyone will be welcomed into heaven. I can't quote it a third time. But in verse 22 of Matthew 7, it says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And in your name, cast out demons. And in your name, perform many miracles. You could probably add to that. In your name, go to church many times. And in your name, memorize scripture. And your name, you could add on a great list of religious things. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Their habit was lawlessness. Those who have been saved by God are changed by God. Now, Peter's goal is not to leave you guessing. It's not to leave you incapacitated by this fear of missing out, but to enjoy the blessings of obedience, to wait with certainty, to expectantly yearn to hear your master's warm welcome saying, well done, good and faithful slave. Enter into the joy of your master. Peter's goal is that you be certain that you'll be ushered immediately into your master's unending service. Certain that you will be given your seat at the wedding feast of the Lamb. Certain that your name will be found in the Lamb's book of life. Certain. I don't know if you've heard about it on the news. Recently, Diz. Disneyland, excuse me, opened, it's a 15-minute long ride or so. It's inspired by a science fiction movie, Star Wars. You may have heard of that. The launch for this new ride was on Friday morning. And there was young Star Wars fans at the very front of the line waiting for entrance all night long. At 8 a.m. on the day of this ride's opening for the first time, Thousands hopped on their phones trying to get a chance to ride this ride. Being in the park wasn't enough. You just didn't have admittance. You needed a reservation. And reservations were gone within minutes. You can read on social media about many who went to Disneyland that day hoping to get on the ride but didn't. They were inside the park, but they didn't get in. Fear of missing out will drive people to do extreme things. Like spending all night 
in downtown, I guess not downtown, but in Anaheim, outside. I live in Anaheim. These young men went through an incredible amount of effort for a ride. It's light. There's nothing more serious than being certain whether you will be welcomed into heaven. There's nothing crazy about a fear of missing out of eternity with your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ if that compels you to take seriously God's promise. This is a rational fear of missing out. You should value certainty. In God's word today, we saw you can have full confidence in your calling and election. But that confidence must be gained God's way. By practicing these things through obedience, through effort, through growing. This is God's way for you to wait with certainty. To anticipate joyfully your entrance into your Savior's kingdom. You don't have to be afraid of missing out. You can be certain. And that is the incredible treasure that this passage holds out for us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you uh, for your wisdom. And really, we see um, the, the balance of Scripture. The balance of Scripture, where there's, where there's portions that are, are so saturated. In, 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 and we see that here. We see Jesus Christ as Savior. We see purification of sins. Uh, we, we, we see your grace. But there's other passages that Paul writes, Lord, where, where, where you expose all of these, the, the insides and out of justification and how we are made right. And then you have this passage here, which focuses on who has been made right. We thank you for your wisdom in giving us this hard text that you want us to want to know if you've chosen us, if the work in our heart was actually your calling. I thank you, Father, that you showed us the way that we can know for certain that Christ's blood has been applied to our account. So, Father, we ask that we'd be people who would value this certainty. Father, I pray that you protect um, people from too much fear. And really, I think that fear is, I don't think you can ever have too much fear about this, but, but protect them from the introspection where they fixate on the little weeds and are incapable of seeing your grace in their lives. I pray, Father, that they would be encouraged by seeing these characteristics being cultivated. Father, there are others of us who maybe even are include those who are unsure whether their sins have been forgiven or who need to be woken out of a stupor. I pray, Father, that this passage would do that. I pray, Father, even for, for, for some young people here who aren't certain Lord, that they would go and work really hard at cultivating these qualities and that the growth in them would be, be affirmation that they are saved and the impossibility of doing it would show that they haven't been saved. Really, that that'd be true for all of us, Lord, that, 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 that our working hard at this would be affirming to us that we have your resources. There's just such an opportunity here to, to, to change the way that we are experiencing this life, Lord. It is, it is horrible 
to try to be holding on to justification without sanctification. We feel like a dichotomy when we do that. It's it, it, a paradox. It feels impossible. Peter says, just not characteristic of salvation. Please, Father, help us to be hopeful. Help us to be believers who believe that you've given us resources and promises, that we have escaped the corruption from the world, that we have been united to this divine nature that wants to obey. I pray, Father, that we would know the, the, the blessing of you supplying a warm welcome into your eternal kingdom. Those who are obedient have that confidence, Lord. And so, Father, there, there, there's so much more counseling that could come from this. I pray, Father, that, uh, that, that, that we would be faithful in confessing our sins to one another. I pray, Father, that we'd be faithful to be being discipled. We'd be faithful to uh, just telling others about our doubts about whether we're saved or not. We'd be faithful to encourage one another, not based on, on I know who you are and who you are now, but because they see growth real time. And there's so much ministry that we can do in one another's lives as an overflow of this passage. So please help us to, to do that and help us to go forth in this week proclaiming the hope that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.